Hi, this is Amber, and you're listening to Amber on Podcast. Hi, hi, hi. Hello, and welcome to episode number 260 of Amber on Podcast. This show is all about doing more good for you and more good for more people. Thank you so much for joining me. In this episode, you will learn when you are most likely to experience imposter syndrome and how to overcome it. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to subscribe to the show. Every Thursday, I release a new episode and I would love to have you join me. Now, let's get down to the good stuff and let's start the show. This episode is inspired by Amy Morin and her podcast, The Very Well Mind. Millions of thanks to Amy Morin, who is so brilliant and such a light in this world. Please go check out the Very Well Mind podcast. I promise you will be glad you did. The name imposter syndrome sounds so dramatic and permanent, but don't be discouraged because imposter syndrome is manageable and we can even pinpoint who is most likely to experience it. Imposter syndrome is used to describe high achieving people who experience a persistent fear of being exposed as a fraud. According to Amy, these people usually have impressive accomplishments. They've been promoted at their job. They have a high degree or title. Despite the impressive accomplishments, self-limiting beliefs prevent them from feeling successful. Anytime I have pivoted my career or started a new job, I have felt some level of imposter syndrome. Sometimes it's really intense and frequent, and sometimes it's weaker and less frequent. But it's always present when I'm embarking on something new. When I started designing clothes, I felt imposter syndrome. When I became an apparel buyer, I felt imposter syndrome. When I got promoted to director, when I started working in personal growth and development, I felt it. I even felt it in my relationships. As a partner, I worried I wasn't equipped or I was underqualified. Imposter syndrome runs deep in me and is something I will likely deal with for the rest of my life, which is why it's important for me to share these tools so I can help myself and hopefully help some of you. Let's start from the beginning. In 1978, psychologists Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne Imes developed the concept originally termed imposter phenomenon. I like that name better. In their study, they focused on high-achieving women and found that despite outstanding academic and professional accomplishments, women who experience the imposter phenomenon persist in believing that they are really not bright and have fooled anyone who thinks otherwise. Since then, these findings have inspired decades of thought leadership, programs, and initiatives to address imposter syndrome. Famous people like Charlize Theron and Viola Davis and business leaders like Sheryl Sandberg, former First Lady Michelle Obama, and Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor have all said they have experienced imposter syndrome. Remember, imposter syndrome is an internal experience of inadequacy that persists despite evident success. Researchers estimate 70% of us experience it at one time or another. Imposter syndrome can happen at home as a parent or a partner or at work. It might make you spend a lot of time feeling like you don't know what you're doing and everyone else has it all figured out. Amy says sometimes that is true. We just don't know what we're doing. But imposter syndrome is an irrational, exaggerated belief we are incompetent despite contrary evidence. You might experience imposter syndrome on and off. There might be times when you do feel qualified and others when you feel like you have no idea what you're doing. 
Imposter syndrome can be debilitating. It can crush your motivation, your inspiration, or paralyze you from taking any action at all. Amy says the best and brightest among us are at most risk for imposter syndrome. And it's even proven to be ingrained in who we are. For example, in her work as a clinical psychologist, Sabrina Romanoff found that the collection of personality traits that drive success and achievement are often the same traits that lead to mental health challenges related to self-worth and achievement-based identity, even in high-achieving individuals. So the more ambitious and motivated you are, the more difficulty you are likely to have with self-worth and identity. I know this might sound dreary, but it's actually good news because if you are driven and ambitious, which I know you are, you can be mindful of this and do things to better your experience with imposter syndrome and sharpen your coping skills. Now, let's talk about the warning signs of imposter syndrome. According to Amy, you might have imposter syndrome if you have chronic feelings of self-doubt. You're constantly second-guessing your decisions. No matter how successful you become, you feel inadequate. You think your success is mostly about good luck. You might think the only reason you achieve something is because you are in the right place at the right time. Instead of recognizing your skills, hard work, and talents, you think, I just got lucky. You might have perfectionistic tendencies, I certainly do, with a combination of fear of failure and chronic feelings of inadequacy that can drive you to over-prepare for everything. You might work really long hours, you double-check and redo things, you obsess about getting all the details right. You live in fear that your colleagues or boss might discover that you have no idea what you're doing. Amy says, many high achievers feel that they are only as good as their last accomplishment. And as a result, they are constantly chasing the next big thing and struggle to ever feel good enough. If any of these are true, you might have imposter syndrome. And if you do, there are some healthy ways to manage it. Amy teaches us three key ways to manage imposter syndrome. Number one, change your thoughts by reminding yourself of your accomplishments. Making a list of accomplishments and positive qualities and achievements can make you see that you are more qualified than you think you are. This is what I have used that has helped me a lot with imposter syndrome and confidence in general. I like to keep my list close by so I can look at it when I feel overwhelmed or like an imposter. Number two, when it comes to dealing with imposter syndrome at work, it works in a similar way. In addition to making a list of your accomplishments, you can also try to define the impact you are making in your job, either your personal impact on your team or company or the impact of your work on other people or society at large. For me, I think of my job as a consultant and define my impact by the way I make people feel, the messaging I am sharing, the energy I am bringing. If I can identify my impact and remind myself of my skills, I feel more worthy and less like an imposter because I know I have something special to offer that no one else can bring. Number three is mentorship. Now, why does this work? Amy says the reason to get a mentor is to give you a chance to talk about your concerns that you aren't qualified, so you aren't alone in your feelings. It's likely your mentor will be able to relate, and they can also remind you of things you have done or knowledge you might have forgotten. Even more powerful, mentoring someone else. This can be tough when you feel like you're underqualified because you don't want someone to see you mess up. But that fear you aren't qualified is unfounded. When you begin to mentor, you will be reminded of how much you have learned over the years. Mentoring, supervising, and teaching is what helped Amy combat imposter syndrome. 
She shared her story of how she felt like an imposter when she started working as a therapist. She'd gone to school to become a therapist, had a degree, was certified by the state, but she still didn't feel qualified. For the first two years as a therapist, Amy worked under a supervisor, and her supervisor reviewed everything she did. All notes, all claims, all cases, etc. And they met every week to review. When two years were up, she was alone, and she still felt unqualified. Within a year, her boss asked her to supervise someone else and sign off on their paperwork. But she declined because she didn't think she was qualified. Eight years into her career, she started teaching at a community college, and she felt like a complete fraud. She didn't think she had the knowledge or skills to teach students, but every class she taught gave her a chance to change this. Amy says, every time she answered a question, it gave her an opportunity to share stories from her time as a therapist. Teaching gave her more confidence and reduced her imposter syndrome. And it's not just Amy's anecdotal evidence that proves this. Research proves that mentoring, teaching, or helping someone else reduces imposter syndrome. It's the last thing you feel like doing when you're struggling with imposter syndrome. You think you aren't qualified or other people will see that you aren't competent. Like, what if you mentor someone who is smarter than you? Or what if you try to teach someone something and they have more skills than you do? Amy says, when you think those thoughts, remind yourself that is part of what imposter syndrome is. It will try to convince you that you are the least qualified person in the room, even when there is evidence to the contrary. Maybe you don't have anyone to mentor at work, but you do have access to a network of people who want to learn from you. You can post on social media, start a blog, post on LinkedIn, create a newsletter, a website, start your own podcast. This podcast certainly helped me with my imposter syndrome. And if you don't have time for an ongoing project, Amy suggests writing an article for a trade magazine, being a guest on another person's podcast, adding a line to your LinkedIn profile that says you're happy to answer questions from anyone who is pursuing a career like yours. Amy teaches us that positive affirmations can fall flat if you don't believe those things to be true. And the best way to combat imposter syndrome is to get out there and do something. Take action. When you mentor or teach others, you'll see that you've learned a lot already. And you can always keep learning and growing more as you go. And when it comes to success and achievement, the truth is no one knows what they're doing and everyone is trying to figure it out. A big part of dealing with imposter syndrome for me has been to remind myself that I'm doing my best and I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to be wrong. And that's good enough. And the same is true for you, dear listeners. I know you are listening to this podcast because you want to be your best self and get the most out of life. And you deserve it. Learning how to deal with imposter syndrome is one way to do more good for you and more good for more people. Now you know the definition of imposter syndrome, who is most likely to experience it, and how to combat imposter syndrome so it doesn't hold you back. For show notes and to sign up for exclusive updates, visit mytalkingdollars.com. If you haven't yet, don't forget to subscribe. Please leave a review and let me know what you think about the show. And please join me next week for another conversation about living your best life and doing more good. Thank you. Love you.